Hello, and welcome to another episode of Breadcrumbs. Today, I am joined by Rowie Sherman, a.k.a. X-Freedom in the Discord. Rowie, how's it going? Good. How are you, Tom? I'm doing really good. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, this is the first time in, I think, about two years you and I have actually like spoken out loud. Like We've been talking back and forth in the Slack and the Discord. Uh, we've, we both worked on the Trace Labs virtual machine, but this is the legitimate first time we've ever <laughs> seen each other on a video call or spoken words out loud to each other. True, true. And, and that's due to COVID, I think, because then we would have the chance to meet much earlier. But, you know, that's what we got and that's what we'll win with. <laughs> well, um, I'm really excited to have you on the pod. I think you bring a really interesting perspective and set of experiences to the open source intelligence community. Um, do you want to walk us through maybe at a high level, like what you do professionally? So I'm the head of offensive services for AB InBev. I'll use that, that part just to say that I'm not speaking on behalf of AB InBev and all thoughts and statements are my own. I have the chance and the luck to lead a very talented group of professionals that do pen testing and red teaming to separate teams. And we are tasked in doing everything the bad guys do before the actual bad guys do that to help the organization identify that and fix everything. So we'll be more secure. Okay, that makes sense. And then you, you just focus on your company, right? You're, you're like an internal red team. True. Yeah. I've joined the company about three years ago uh, for the sole purpose of building the internal team. Uh, until then, the company had consulting services from external companies, and they decided they want to build the internal team uh, due to various reasons. Um, as part of that, as, as we build the red team initially, after some time, we identified also the need for a pen testing team. So we will have two different teams that can cover different types of, of engagements and projects. The logic behind it is not that pen, uh, red teams are too good to do pen tests or anything like that. I don't believe in that. And, and I think anybody that thinks that way doesn't really understand what either of those teams does. It's just... For me, it's different tools in your toolbox that you want to use to get different value out of. Um, so it made sense to have those teams separated and focusing on different projects and different assessments. That makes sense. How'd you wind up in the Trace Labs community? To be honest, I don't know how many years I'm with Trace Labs. I think I'm with Trace Labs even before I joined ABI. Um, the way I, I got to, to know Trace Labs, I was uh, responsible with another friend of mine for a CTF in a ZIFCON conference. Um, and one of the speakers is the founder of Trace Labs. That, that's Rob. Um, and we had a speaker's dinner and we sat down at a table and you know we started talking about different things. And then he told me like he's going to do a talk about an idea that he had to get the help of the community of everybody that wants to do an OSINT to help law enforcement agencies around the world to try to track down missing persons. 
as myself, I'm a very big believer in, in, in the community. Um, I got raised by that community, whether it's the internet and later on the, the information security com- community. And I said, wow, you know, that, that sounds really good. Like helping law enforcement, which by proxy is also helping the common people that has missing persons close to them went missing. And we can actually use hacking techniques, quote unquote, to do good. Because today, a lot of people think hacker is a synonym for something bad or, or somebody doing something bad. Where initially, hacking is just making something do something it wasn't intended to do. It doesn't have to be information security related or cybersecurity related. It's just making tech doing something it wasn't planned to do. Uh, I think the best example is if you can make your smart fridge run Doom, for example, it doesn't have any cybersecurity implications, but it's still hacking um, and it's not anything bad. Um, And that really piqued my curiosity. And I just went ahead and said like, all right, you know what? If you need any help, just let me know. I don't know how can I help, but I'll find out. Since then, we started talking. Uh, that was the, I think, the first stages of, of Trash Labs where we had the Slack initially for the community. And then we had the events. I started uh, volunteering as a judge. Then we had the Trace Labs VM project starting. So I said, you know what? I'm not a really good coder, to be honest, but I, I did IT for a lot of time. So maybe I can help with that somehow. There, I think I ended up being kind of a part of the DevOps team for the VM and then kind of the Linux scripting part. And that kicked off and more CTFs, more judging, and hopefully in the end of this year, we'll meet in DEF CON. Yes, I cannot wait for that. The Trace Labs team is going to be out in Vegas. We're looking forward to meeting anyone who will meet us. It's been a very, very long two years. <laughs> yeah, it feels like more than two years. It's Yes. And for me, I'm, I'm located in Israel. So we have a very good cybersecurity community right here. Um, I'm also part of the, the B-Sites uh, Tel Aviv team. And, you know, a lot of my friends from the larger community from everywhere in the world, I didn't get the chance to see them for three years now. And all of those conferences were my chances to actually sit down with my friends, have a beer, talk with people like face to face and, and and COVID feels like a lot of more than two years. Like that, that's crazy. I'll just use myself as an example. You know, when I started my InfoSec journey, such as it was back in like 2018, 2019, you know, I didn't know anybody. Like I didn't really have any friends in the community. I was just trying to find my place, see where I fit in, you know, fast forward. And I've got like a family in infosec that i've never met before <laughs> so true i think that's... i think a lot of people are probably in that same boat and we're all just just jumping at the opportunity to connect in real life yeah um to be honest for myself when i got into the information security world it was i think about a decade ago or so something like that and i i don't have the the classic Cinderella story for, for myself. Like in a lot of podcasts, you hear guests and, and other professionals from the field, they found their love for hacking when they were like five. They hacked a video game or website when they were 12. They taught themselves to code and, and other really cool things. And 
for myself, it wasn't even nearly close to that. I, I really enjoyed video games. So I just played video games uh, when I was young. In Israel, you joined the army for a mandatory service when you're 18. I didn't went to A200 or any similar uh, unit. I did something else. When I released from the army, I also like I kept playing video games on the computer, but didn't really knew something like information security or, or cybersecurity even exists. But then I joined um, a tech company as part of the help desk and an IT team. There I've met somebody um, that's still a mentor for me for all of those years. And he came from that community, from that field. And we started talking. I got interested. And then he said, like, all right, you want to learn? I, I won't teach you. I can give you, like, you know, um, these, these days we call it the CTF. But he said, like, I'll give you a challenge. I'll give you questions. I'll, I'll give you something. But you'll need to find all the answers and come up with all the questions yourself. And I said, like, all right, let, let's give it a shot. I don't know. And it started by him giving me a, a PCAP of, of something. And he just said, come back with all the information you can get from it. And being so junior, you don't really even know what's interesting in a PCAP. That was a kind of a rabbit hole where that's how I found how much I enjoy this. Because you sit in front of your computer, you sit in front of Google, and you're like Googling what is interesting in a PCAP. You know, and you get a bunch of different answers. Um, and then we had false virtualization and, and a lot of things, but it wasn't as common as today. Like it was much less known, much less labs and, and free training stuff and all of those things. So you kind of start to speak with him and, and he get you to know more people. He got me to know the people from uh, DC 9723, which is the, the Tel Aviv DC group. And then you meet more and more people that share the same enthusiasm that you have, but for different parts of that field. And that's how you get to know different parts of that field, because I don't know everything and I'll probably never know everything. But then you find somebody that does reversing and somebody that does malware analysis and somebody that does threat intelligence and somebody that does uh, blue team and somebody does a pen test and different people doing different things and and a bit by bit you know and you feel what interests you the most like what you want to dig deeper and, and understand better yeah and i think that's that's really applicable to the world of osent and i say that because like there aren't a lot of quote OSINT jobs like they they do exist but you know you'd be hard you know there are a lot more DevOps jobs a lot more help desk jobs a lot more software engineering jobs it's tough to find a purely OSINT job but I encourage people to understand like what they enjoy about OSINT and then find those components you know, in a, you know, in a professional setting. So find what you like and just look for more of that. Um, it might not be a job that's entirely OSINT, but maybe it has an OSINT component or maybe what you realize, maybe you got into OSINT and realized that you really enjoy the hacking part of it, like the coming up with creative solutions to problems, getting systems to do things they aren't necessarily supposed to do. And you wind up, you know, on a red team or you wind up, you know, somewhere else. Um, 
So I think your point is just spot on. Just if you're looking to get into the field of like just cyber information technology, infosec, like just start with a problem that you want to solve and then find out what parts of that problem you enjoy solving. Yeah, I agree. Um, I had an interesting conversation about that specific topic um, with a colleague of mine. And in the world of information security, I would say there are so many different capabilities, tools, um, and even, I, would, I don't know, micro domains of knowledge. And you can apply them in, in, in so many different parts of it. The, the easiest example for myself is the red team, because everybody thinks that the red team just comes in, hack into things, break stuff, and goes out. And I even heard people saying the red team comes in just to challenge the blue team. My thoughts are, are very, very different. But to the point you mentioned, so for example, for OSINT, I'm not familiar with any OSINT specific position, maybe only a couple of those that are very specific to threat intelligence companies. However, when you think about OSINT, it, it's a type of intelligence. And something interesting, a friend of mine, which specializes in threat intelligence told me is that OSINT is, is a very general term for everything that doesn't fall under the same uh, definition of, of humant, SIGINT, or, or VISINT, which are different types of intelligence. For example, humant is the human intelligence, SIGINT is the signal intelligence, and VISINT is the visual intelligence. And you can really kind of mangle with it and say, all right, if somebody listens to that podcast, which is free and available, and so it's considered an OSINT content, however, it's a talk between you and me. And so it comes from a human is it human? If you get information from someone else that's available for everybody that he got from a different type of intelligence, what, which type of, of intel does it make that? So I think there are a lot of ways you can apply OSINT in different uh, jobs and positions in, in the information security world. And as I mentioned, for example, for red team, Every attacker, whether those are the malicious threat actors or red teams, whatever, they do OSINT. They collect information for their operations. They start with identifying their targets, checking any OSINT content of their domains, employees, um, HVTs, which are the high valuable targets. They have an objectives for their operations. So they want to know where that objective lies, whether it's a uh, physical office, so which address, which country, which floor, the company names, subsidiaries. I don't know, everything that they can come up with. And even if they want to do a phishing assessment or a phishing awareness test, and, and there you can also get her OSINT in order to find that information. The threat intelligence team, it's kind of straightforward. They do a lot of intelligence gathering, which a big part of it is OSINT. Even today, a lot of threat actors has a very, I would say, public channels to approach the world, whether it's ransomware groups or whatever. So that's OSINT. They have an open Telegram channel or the uh, website is up. And even if it's behind Tor, that's not a paywall. That's only a piece of software you need to get in order to view that content. So that's also part of the OSINT. So 
all the threat intelligence group, even the threat intelligence companies, a very big part of what they do is OSINT. So if you enjoy OSINT, I'm not sure if you can find a position that does only that, but in the end of the day, every position doesn't really do only one thing. In the, I think the most hated thing in, in the offensive world is usually writing the reports, but everybody does it. Like threat intelligence, write reports, blue team writes reports, everybody writes reports. The, you know, the, the famous saying that um, defenders thinks in lists, attacker thinks in graphs, executives thinks in uh, pie charts. So everything ends there eventually. To maybe say the same thing, but from my professional point of view, um, I work in human resources. You can't work in HR and not use Excel. You might not enjoy Excel, but it's going to become a very important part of your life, whether your job is recruiting, compensation, um, HR information systems, like no matter what part of human resources you're in, you're going to have to deal with spreadsheets. So just get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in the end of the day, you get um, your professional appreciation from different people, from different groups, um, based on different content. So if you manage to, to hack into something or to get specific data or specific level of access or even to weaponize some kind of a, of a bug or a zero day, the appreciation will get from your peers or your colleagues that are technical and understand what you did what were your challenges, like how you overcame them and, and stuff like that. But organizations, and it doesn't matter if you're an internal team or consulting team, they give your their appreciation based on the value you provide them. And the value you provide them as being on the offensive side is the report because that's in the end of the day, that's a deliverable. And when that gets to management and and before working for Airbnb, I was a consultant for almost five years for, for Ernest & Young. You sit down with your stakeholders. Sometimes you get a technical team there, sometimes not. But they're interested in, in what's the problems and, and how we're going to fix them. They won't be very impressed if you manage to hide your implant using whatever technique from their EDR. They're just interested in knowing that you managed to do, the, to do that. So... That's, that's something to remember. Something else that I try to impress on people, especially maybe newer people to OSINT or at least to our community specifically, is that the fundamentals of an investigation haven't changed ever. An investigation is an investigation. The medium through which you're investigating might change, but if you can understand those core concepts and like really understand like the importance of pivoting and being able to stay organized and connect pieces of information that's going to take you a long way in an investigation but i i think that frame of thinking probably applies to a lot of fields in infosec if you can grasp onto some really core concepts and then get used to expanding on those in creative ways. I think there's probably a place for you in InfoSec. I agree. I think that a lot of the things we do are not only technical and it's not only about the reporting, it's about a lot of other soft skills that are, that are very important to have in order to be able to do quality work. So 
one of the best examples I got is a lot of people in the recent years came to me and said that their dream is to be a researcher. And I said, all right, what does it mean? And they said, you know, I want to be a security researcher. And I'm like, all right, do you, what, what do you think you'll do every day? And they're like, I'm going to research things. I'm like, how does the research look like? And they, they start to mumble. They don't really know. And the thing is that it's not just, I don't know, installing a software and just fuzzing it or, or just sending a bunch of payloads and seeing what happened. The, the research has as methods and I'm now doing my master's degree in criminology. And what you said about interrogation is very interesting because that's one of the topics we learned. And the concepts of a lot of things we do are rooted in, in different things that are much more, I would say, fundamental because even an attack is still an attack. An operation is still an operation. We apply it to the cyber world. We might apply it to the physical world. This, the concepts of, of tactics and strategy and all those things are still the same. So even if you do OSINT, and I don't know if, if a lot of people like understand it, but most of the people do OSINT on a daily basis. They just don't know it's called OSINT because people that are hiring candidates and before the interview, Google their names, go to their social media profiles. That That's OSINT, trying to see if they have any newspaper articles on their name or whatever. Um, candidates that Google the company to see what they do, how much money they make, how much money they worth, which teams they have, which technology they use. That's OSINT. People that go on dates and, and Google their uh, the dates or, or the partners. All of those are small bits of OSINT that aren't really structured in the end of the day to a report by, by, of any type, or at least I hope so. But... Um, People still do that. So they have the knowledge, they have the capability. It's just a matter of how you apply it and, and the structure and the frame you're operating with. So for example, if I'm sitting down before an operation and I need to get information about the target or to collect information, I got a very specific frame and structure because I'm doing that as part of a red team operation. I know who's the client and I'm starting to Google the locations and I get a lot of information to sit with the team and build our operation plan. Where are we going to go from? After what we're going to go? Which tools or techniques we're going to use uh, and stuff like that. When the threat intel team does the same thing, they have a, maybe the same structure or the same tools, but different objectives, different processes. They have a different end goal in mind. Their information might be something they feed the red team or something they feed the blue team. So, so it will change accordingly. So it doesn't necessarily change the way they collect information, but it does change the way they process it and the end, the, the, what they deliver in the end. Whenever I'm trying to explain OSINT to people, or I guess maybe even just explain intelligence in general, one of the points I like to make is that OSINT on its own is meaningless. It's just some stuff you found on the internet, some stuff you found at the library, like intelligence, whether it's satellite photographs, intercepted communications, like it's just a thing. Um, if you don't understand what to do with that thing or how to fit it together into a larger picture, how to exploit that into maybe a pivot or like 
something else as part of your test or your investigation. Um, you're just collecting interesting pieces of information. And I think it's that ability to like, to take those next steps, to put the pieces together, to do something with the OSINT you're collecting that maybe separates a good investigator from a great investigator or a good pen tester from a great pen tester. Um, do you have any thoughts around like how to actually use OSINT in a meaningful way? Yeah, I, I think you, um, and correct me, of course, if I'm wrong, you're talking about the part of weaponizing something because when you do the OSINT, and you collect all of that information. And one can argue that, all right, it's not really OSINT, you're doing WebInt, whatever. We are not going to get stuck on the terminology, but the, the main part is the weaponization because when you show people the same information, they collect what they can do with it, then the, that's usually the part they get interested. Uh, to use a different example, when I speak with people about social engineering, for example, which is something I do when I speak about phishing, I usually ask like, how many people here in the audience wants to be a social engineer? And some people raise their hands, some people don't. And then I tell them like, you know, that all of you are social engineers already. And people get very like, you know, they don't really believe you. And then you say, all right, when you go on a date and you want to make the other side want you, that's part of social engineering. When you go to your boss and you want to get a raise, when you go to a job interview, whatever, in, in a lot of the ways we interact with others, we are using different types of social engineering uh, techniques. Some of them that we intend to, some of them that we don't even notice that we do. But then when you point it out and show how you can weaponize it, that makes it interesting for everyone. And the same thing for OSINT, because when you say, all right, you know what, you can go to Google, you can search a username, or you can go to a specific website and put a username there. And that will show you all the places that username or that email has a social media account. And people are like, all right, so I know somebody that has Twitter also has, I don't know, a Facebook account. And that's not very impactful. But then when you show them like, all right, if you take all of those pieces and all of those pieces in the end show you the picture on the puzzle, then it's when they get, it gets interesting. And I think part of learning OSINT is not so much how you collect more intelligence, but more of how you cross-reference it and what you can do with it and, and what does it tell you and which threads it gets loose so you can pull on them and get even additional information. And the weaponization part comes in based on what you want to do. And going back to the previous thing we mentioned, what's your end goal? Do, are you doing OSINT for TraceLab CTF where you need to find those bits of information and submit them for points? Do you want to try to get all of those bits of information to try to get the ultimate submission of, of the less known location? Or if you're a malicious actor and you want to send a phishing to Tom, so you want to know which social media networks he's active on. So if I want to tell him one of his accounts got locked, I want to know whose social media company I want to, to uh, make my fake phishing form. Can I identify which bank he used if I want to make him transfer money, for example? Um, and, and that's the interesting, and I think that's the more difficult thing for a lot of people to understand 
how can I use what I got? I got a bunch of information uh, and now how can I act on it? Like, how can I benefit from it? Yeah, and um, previously I've mentioned several times, you know, getting comfortable pivoting and how that's, you know, one of the the core sort of skill sets of either an investigator or a red teamer, a bad actor, like being able to pivot is good, but something that gets, I think, overlooked sometimes in OSINT investigations is also the ability, to your point, to cross-reference. So a piece of information on its own is relatively meaningless, or it's at least unsubstantiated. But when you start connecting three, four, ten, a hundred pieces of information that all support each other, that's where it gets really interesting. So you know that I'm on Discord as human decoded, and then you use that to find out I'm also human decoded on Twitter and GitHub. Okay, so now you've now those things all sort of reinforce each other. So this is all the same Tom. On GitHub, I sign all my commits with the GPG key, and then I just so happen to sign all my alpha bay transactions with that same GPG key. Very poor OPSEC, but you could then connect random alpha bay transactions back to Tom at Trace Labs. Um, whereas all those pieces of information on their own, relatively useless. So yeah, the ability to put them all together to support one another is very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And and to your point about OPSEC, so OPSEC is hard. Like if you look at a lot of exposed Fed actors um, where everybody says like poor OPSEC, OPSEC is something very hard to do because in the end of the day, we are all humans and you know, we, we like things to be comfortable and everything that gets more secure is usually less comfortable. But still, doing that connected dots that you did is not very straightforward to people that never did it or, or never thought of it. And one of the things we talk about in, in Red Teams is about the criminal mindset. So how can you be the adversary? How can you think like them? And one of the things I keep telling my team is that don't only think on how the better guys are doing that. Also make sure you think about the why. If you try to apply the same concept when you're interrogating, it's very helpful to try to think on, all right, if somebody is using that, what else they will be using instead of how they're doing what they do. Like if they're using a specific email, what's the chances they're using the same email somewhere else? And if they have that email here, maybe they have a specific email for social media and maybe a specific email for their transactions. Uh, maybe it's similar, maybe it's backwards. It's a lot of guesses and manipulation you can try to think of, but it's very, I would say, easy to verify and hard to come up with because it's a lot of guesses and trying to think like somebody that's actually doing that because Keeping all of your fake sock puppet accounts in a notepad, it's easy when you have, I don't know, three, five, ten of them. But for really good OPSEC, you want to have 100 or 1,000 of them. We want a burner account per account. And that's something that's not easy to maintain. And if you add an MFA on them, so what are the chances you get a different smartphone per account? 
like and if you got 100 accounts so it will centralize in the same uh device or you log in usually from the same location and there's a lot of mistakes that we end up not knowing that we do for example you log in into your alphabet account from a vpn that goes out of venezuela and then when you want to go to your a different sock puppet account which is nothing malicious you'll change back the vpn right but let's say you just got a phone call so you stand up from your computer you go for i don't know when i speak on the phone i, I walk a lot so you speak with somebody for a couple of minutes you come back you forgot that you didn't disconnect the vpn so now you are coming from the same location or maybe same ip and that can be used to connect your accounts um and that's everything that's passive i'm not even mentioning active stuff like javascript fingerprinting or actual tracking or running away from law enforcement or stuff like that but that's very interesting a good example for that I, that I always mention when people talk with me about Trace Labs, that we had one CTF that there was a, a missing girl. And in her missing person um, notice, they mentioned she might be with her father. So a lot of the teams started also digging on the father. And it started very easily. They identified a Facebook account, Twitter account, stuff like that. But it ended up finding his GitHub account. And when they found his GitHub account, and that's usually where most teams stop, one of them or a few of them checked when he was last committing code. And having the last commit code, meaning he's active. So if he's active, is logged in the system for GitHub. And that's something that might not be uh, useful for the common people like you and me, but that's something very valuable for law enforcement that they can walk with Microsoft and say, all right, that's the case that we have. That's the evidence that we have. Now we need your help in finding more in-depth details that are not available through OSINT. But that's part of connecting the dots to say, all right, he has a profile here. What can I find other than his profile peak or um, his username or email? But do I know if he's active or not? Can I find where he's active from? Like stuff that's not any active engagement that we don't allow on the CDFs, but still part of that OSIM collection that you need to think about and not only like run the tools, say, all right, I'm scanning all of the internet for, I don't know, Roy.hacker, whatever, and says, all right, he got that 10 different social media accounts. If he has picture when they were taken, what's inside of those pictures? Can we get more... Previously, I call it like loose threads that you can pull on, but it's more bits of intelligence that might be an opening for additional OSINT round. And so it's not a, a one round, I collect everything and then I think about it. I process it, I get those leads, I do an additional rounds. Um, and th that makes it very, very powerful. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned that you know, in the context of a Trace Lab CTF, like the information we're collecting, the things we're finding, as far as what we can do with that might be fairly limited, but providing that information to law enforcement, they can take it, you know, to the, to the next level. And I think that goes back to under, like whenever you're embarking on an investigation, a pen test, an assessment, having a clear 
not just a clear goal in mind, but understanding how your part of that operation contributes to the whole, because I think that keeps you focused. Um, if we just all ran out on the internet and tried to find missing people, we're probably not going to be very successful. But with Trace Labs, because we have such a such a tight focus on how we're supporting law enforcement's mission, it makes us pretty effective and and really just sort of keeps us focused and on track. Do you do you see something similar maybe in your professional line of work? I think in the end it's it's the power of both communities and the focus and the structure, like like we already mentioned. So having so many people, for example, in the CTFs doing that and having a very narrow scope of targets makes everything very centered, very focused. Because in the end of the day, if you have, I don't know, 1,000 teams and you give them 10,000 notices, you'll get a lot of less information on each notice. But if you give them five or 10, you get a lot of that information. There is, of course, a lot of work in the duplicating stuff and, and verifying stuff, but it's still the the end result that you get, um, in my opinion, is very, uh, very good and, and very valuable that can actually be used. It's true for a lot of other, uh, I would say, fields. For example, the basic information security community. Everything I've learned, even if I sat down and, and learned it myself, it's something that I probably got pointed out by somebody else. It's material that I read that someone else wrote. It's the power of the community in helping each other and shaping each other is, is so powerful. And for example, that's the reason I'm having so much fun being part of B-Site Tel Aviv, because you feel you have the power to get that knowledge to other people and to give the others the ability to share what they did and, and what they learned. Um, throughout my career, I faced in some cases gatekeeping and people that want to keep the information from themselves and, and they want to be the only person that's good in what they do. Um, it's also something I've witnessed by proxy from friends that told me about it for underrepresented groups and stuff like that. So that's another thing that we can fight as a community because in the end, when you're speaking with somebody on the internet, and that's a very old joke, but you have no idea whether they are male, female, or cat. And usually you don't really care because you're speaking about the technical stuff and what you actually do. When I started building the red team, you know, I had a lot of thoughts and dreams and, and how I want things to be and how I believe they should be. But in the end of the day, there's a lot of things you're not sure how to do. So you can keep guessing like that. That's a valid approach. You can brute force your way into everything. But if there are other people that can help you, and I got a lot of help from other people that built, run, or a part of internal red teams and sharing your experience, sharing what you tried and failed and, and how it failed so you can grow and, and learn from it and, and help other people. And after a year or two, I got the chance to contribute my experience with other people. So as the, for a community, the scope is very, very wide. So there is, very, uh, there is a lot of power to the numbers, but the actual impact in the end is much lower because 
it's so wide. When the community is very focused on something specific, if you look, for example, DEFCON villages, the content there is much more focused towards something specific and the community there is very focused on a specific topic. So you get much more value and much more impact in the end of the day. Is there anything else maybe on your mind that you did want to get into this episode? I feel like we touched on a lot of really good things. Yeah, no, there isn't anything specific, I would say. Um, I do encourage everybody that wants to learn more, do that. Like we're in an age where so many content resources, information, um, and even labs, even labs for intelligence and OSINT and stuff like that is available. There's a lot of different communities. Um, I, I won't start naming them because I'll probably forget one of them and I don't want to do that, but there's a lot of places you can learn. Um, one of the good things about COVID is it sped up a lot of more information being accessible from a digital standpoint. Know that the tech uh, industry or the information security uh, had that problem, but a lot of more courses and training got their digital uh, variant. They got the digital option. Do that. There's a lot of material for free. There, um, you can buy a humble bundle set of books about a specific topic for very cheap, and it goes to charity that you choose. It's much easier than it was five years ago, and it's much easier than it was 10 years ago. Capitalize on that. Go Google, ask. You got the Discord for Trace Labs, a lot of people there. And even if you want to learn something that's not OSINT, it's something else, it's a different part of information security, you can start by tagging me, which is easy, or tag everybody else. Start that discussion. People will point you towards a lot of different directions it's up to you to find which one of them will be the most valuable for yourself. Yes. And I think that's probably one of the, one of the most valuable parts about our community is that generally all of us have no problem answering questions, you know, giving back to the community, supporting people, mentoring. But the challenge I'll put out to the people that want that, you have to ask for it. <laughs> um like exactly. uh, like I'm I'm probably not going to write a bunch of blog posts or make a bunch of YouTube videos explaining something but if you ask me I'll talk to you about it for hours. I will take hours out of my day to tell you what I know about Python and OSINT tools or interviewing for jobs or like I will tell I've got no problem spending that time if I'm asked for it. I'm probably not going to do it on my own. True. Um, I've, I've started a blog, I think, over a year ago. It has like three or four posts. The main reason is probably because I'm lazy. Um, the second reason is because I got a, a lot of other things going on. But also in some cases, I, I might read something that someone else wrote. And I won't just post it as my own. And I won't make a post with just a link to someone else. It doesn't really make sense. However, if you come in and ask me like, how can I learn to do, I don't know, Active Directory hacking or cracking passwords or whatever? I say, you know what? Let me share with you those resources that other great people put in the time and the effort to write down or, or record or publish or stream and, and use their content. And, and 
they they need to get the visits, the advertisement, if it's, I don't know, a paid course or whatever, that's entirely theirs. And it's much easier for me to recommend it in a conversation or, or thread in Discord rather than doing a blog post and saying, all right, you know what? That's a bunch of very good notes that I have that I'm just going to post online. That's just weird. Well, Roey, this has been an amazing conversation. And even though it's the first time we've spoken, I doubt it'll be the last. Uh, I'd love to have you back on. If people wanted to find you online, where would they do that? I'm not super active on Twitter, but uh, Twitter, GitHub are pretty cool. So they're both the same thing. So, oh no, my Twitter is X underscore freedom with an O instead of, if with a zero instead of an O. Um, and my GitHub is just X freedom with a zero instead of an O. I'm not super active. I'm not a big social media beast, but um, hit me up if you have any questions or anything I can help with. I'm here. We'll see who finds each other first in Vegas. Maybe you see me first. Maybe <laughs> I see you first. Uh, we'll see. That that could be a could be a fun game. Um, I'm 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 looking forward to calling out all the people I see before they see me. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, thank you again for taking the time to hang out with me for an hour or so. Uh, I look forward to our next conversation. Thank you for having me. This has been another episode of Breadcrumbs. If you'd like to learn more, you can find us online at tracelabs.org, on Twitter at tracelabs. But if you really want to find us, just follow the breadcrumbs. <laughs> <laughs>